Welcome to Hack to Start, a podcast focused on interesting people and the innovative ways they achieve success. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Each week we speak with a new guest about how they created, hacked, and hustled their way to the top and distill their insights and experiences for you. The path to success isn't always linear. Hack, start, and repeat. This episode is brought to you by Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. Ghost, a simple, powerful publishing platform that allows you to share your story with the world. And SoundCloud. Hear the world sounds. This episode features Zach Shapiro, the founder of Silencer and Luna. All right, Zach, thanks for being on the show today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. This is my first podcast. <laughs> Amazing. So where are you from? Um, what did you study and how did, you, how did your passion and entrepreneurship develop? Uh, I, I grew up in Baltimore. I just said that with a really Baltimore accent. That was weird. <laughs> I never do that. Grew up in Baltimore. Um, and then I lived there for 18 years. Right after high school, I went to uh, the University of Colorado at Boulder, uh, which unbeknownst to me, had uh, Boulder, the city itself, has a great startup scene. Um, led by Brad Feld, Techstars, um, some other great people that are behind the scenes and just in the community. Um, and then my the spring of my freshman year, uh, I guess back up to to the end of high school, I had a bunch of ideas for stuff, and I would get it, I would get them prototyped on like outsourced Indian websites, um, and I never realized that people started businesses or took those ideas and and put them into the market. I just never thought that through. I was just like, oh, I'm a kid with a bunch of ideas. There's no Twitter. There's no Facebook. Um, I have a blog that no one reads. You know, I guess I just like prototype these and I go, oh, that's cool. And then I put them away. Uh, so the, the first semester of my freshman year, I met this guy, Dave Taylor in Boulder, um, who was an early mentor of mine who basically said, yeah, like startups are a thing. People, you know, take those ideas and they run with them. And uh, just helped me, helped introduce me to that. So he uh, he recommended I read The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell, which is kind of like the first business book I read. Um, and then that summer, I just kind of like devoured business books. And I couldn't code at the time, so I was just kind of like telling people my ideas, and that was kind of the end of it. Uh, later in college, I started uh, working with developers and, and getting things built. Uh, so it was really like fall, spring. Fall of 08, spring of 2009, where I was like, this is, this is exactly what I want to do. So that's great. So you graduated the, um, with a bachelor's degree in, in journalism. And from there, you went to work at the next big sound. And yeah. then from there, you got Techstars, um, Path, and finally TaskRabbit as a full stack developer. So how did you learn to code to build these products? So uh, when I worked at Next Big Sound, I didn't, I didn't code until, um, I guess, Right before TaskRabbit, so I, I was I wanted to do BD, um, but then I realized that I wasn't really interested in that. I just I was always I was like making stuff, and I was always drawing and writing bad code, trying to code, and, and kind of abandoning it because it's really hard. Yeah, um, for sure. You know the the learning curve is steep. If like I have a, I have a whole bunch of like very strong thoughts that we can go into about learning how to code. Um, if you guys are interested, if not, don't worry about it. Um, but. Uh, Techstars was great because I was able to work with 12 or 13 companies that summer and really just help them in whatever way I can. I was doing design stuff, I was prototyping stuff, or wireframing stuff rather, um, 
I was doing marketing. I was on the street getting user feedback, like showing people stuff right outside the Techstars office. Um, it was a wild summer. And then right after that, I, I finally like buckled down. I was like, all right, I'm going to learn how to code for real this time. I'm going to like, I'm going to pick a language. I'm going to stop switching back and forth whenever someone tells me to. Um, I'm going to buy this book, which was the Rails 3 tutorial. Um, it's a great book. I think it's, it's, there's an open source version, and then you can buy a, a version on Amazon. I bought the Kindle version. Um, and my trick was, the way I failed in the past was I had a book. I had like the full book sitting on my desk, and when I would want to do something specific, I would flip to that portion of the book. And I had no context later in the book as to like what the things were that were going on. So I would try to jump ahead to like forms, and I didn't know what I was doing. Um, so ultimately, I'd get frustrated and give up. And so by doing it on the iPad, I had to do it one page at a time and I had to focus and I couldn't, I mean, I could flip, but I wasn't flipping. So I was just focusing on like the one thing on the screen. And I got to a point where I knew a tiny amount and I convinced the guys at TaskRabbit who I met at uh, South by Southwest that year to uh, bring me on as an intern. And the pitch to them was, uh, I want to work here for three months. You don't have to pay me very much. Just pay me enough to like eat and pay my rent. And uh, if you like me at the end of the three months, you know, you can keep me and we can negotiate, you know, a full-time offer. And if not, you know, we can part ways amicably and, and you know, go our separate ways. And they liked that idea. It was, it was an idea that I took from a company in Boulder called Quick Left, which basically just wants to grow their own talent. Um, they'll take anyone on who has an interest in programming and uh, is, like, focused and, and dedicated and they'll spend some time with them and you know teach them the ropes with the basic understanding that they're going to get a developer for you know a year and a half to three years out of that, um, and they can you know avoid bad habits and teach them all the all the things that they really value in the company. That's pretty awesome. Uh, so then, at the end of the three months, or I guess it was about probably two months in, I talked to my boss uh, at TaskRabbit, and I was like, "Look, like I don't have to go back to college. I, I love working here. I love what I do." Like. I would love to, you know, come on full time, and they made me sweat for another four to six weeks, and then, uh, <laughs> and then they gave me a job offer. That's awesome. We could. So you mentioned you had some strong thoughts on, like, on, 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 on how to learn how to how to code. So I mean, you obviously said that you, you know, before you were hopping back and forth. And so, so what are the strong thoughts? Is there a good good process to learn really quickly? Quickly, or, no. Or properly, I guess. Sorry. Properly, yes. So. Um, pick a language and stick to it is, is probably the first thing. Um, a lot of people, whether they work at a company and use a specific language um, or they have a training in that specific language, like they'll tell you very strongly, like, don't do Ruby, do Python for these reasons. Um, if you, you need to learn basic concepts, so just pick one and like, stick to that and just defend that. Um, like thank them for their input and then kind of shoo them away. Um, don't do Code Academy. Like don't don't learn in like a browser window because when you actually want to build something, you're going to need to use text editors and you know files on your computer and Git and GitHub and all kinds of stuff. And Code Academy is really good for syntax, but not for like actual future applications of of how to code. Um, Definitely find a mentor, just someone that you can ask like the dumbest, lowest level questions to and not feel bad. And, and you know, they're very empathetic. Excuse me. Um, you know, I had a great guy named Steve Hull, who was my mentor at TaskRabbit, uh, who, you know, would sit there and field my endlessly dumb questions as I got up to speed. Um, so I'm very thankful for Steve and the time he put in. Um, and then it, as much as you can, like take an internship, do a boot camp, 
don't do it nights and weekends or like an hour a day. Really try to devote some serious time each day to it, you know, three, four, five, eight hours. And uh, your brain's going to hurt a lot, but that's, I guess, how you grow. That's the point, yeah. Yeah. So uh, what's hilarious is that um, you've you've built a few really cool products um, beforehand that I'd heard about, but I didn't know that, that you had done them and had been involved with them. So um, I think it's awesome that uh, that I found out as we were talking about doing this interview and stuff like that, that, that you were the man responsible for them. Um, so the first one is silencer.io, which basically enables you to mute specific people or, or keywords across the internet. Um, and you grew this to 10,000 plus users. So how did you do that? So... I built Silencer out of this need, like, I, the internet is so exhausting sometimes, especially Twitter. Oh, yeah. um, you know, like, right now everybody's freaking out about Ebola. Um, <laughs> you know, the political stuff comes and goes. On Sunday, everybody tweets about the NFL and other people hate it. Um, it started with this idea that, like, you should be able to control your stream. And it's not in Twitter's interest to do that, really, they, although they've implemented a muting feature recently. But they want you to see as many tweets as possible. Um, so I wanted to build this thing where you could very easily just go in and say like, I don't want to see anything about, you know, Gilmore girls. That's a terrible example. Um, or like, you know, mute everything related to the NFL or, uh, it evolves into the spoilers product. So breaking bad game of Thrones, most of the users came from, um, game of articles written after someone huge was killed in game of Thrones. So like something would happen, the internet would freak out, and then everybody would go, spoilers, spoilers. Way, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they were like, look at this thing. So that was kind of how we did that. Um, it was a fun thing to build. I'm a big fan of Chrome extensions. Um, I unsuccessfully tried to raise a round of money around Silencer. Um, and just Chrome extensions are, are a very difficult thing to, I guess, invest in. Um, I don't think it's as hard for people to understand as, as people think. Uh, a lot of people will tell you, like, no one knows what a Chrome extension is. But, you know, a lot of people have ad block on their, on their site or on their, on their uh, browser. And um, I don't know. It was fun to build. It was fun to see, like, what people were using it for. Justin Bieber's uncle was using it to mute people asking him if Justin could follow them. <laughs> them. Yeah. No way. That's um, hilarious. And it, our biggest country for that was Brazil, which was strange. Hmm. Um, and yeah, we, we built it to the point where, I guess I built it to a point, um, where it was muting three million things a month, like tweets and Facebook posts. That's wicked. Uh, which, was, which was really cool. And so I know you guys um, got so. a, lot of, a lot of press around that. So besides Game of Thrones and, and some of the press, which was, was that organic or not? The press? Um, I never really pitched the press. Um, I didn't really do a good job of taking advantage of kind of what Silencer was for the market. Okay. It was just like people were very loud about it. Like if you searched for Silencer, and I haven't done it in a while, but people would complain and then someone would recommend it. Uh, there was a, there's a, a thing called Tumblr Savior, which is kind of for Tumblr to block stuff. Um, and people, a lot of people who were fans of Tumblr Savior were recommending that for Twitter and Facebook. Hmm. Um, so yeah, the, I didn't I didn't do a good job with press at all. The press just like randomly picked it up. Like Perez Hilton was was crazy. Perez Hilton thought that Google built it, <laughs> <laughs> so I had to set him straight. Yeah, and, for sure. Uh, Time dot com was really cool. Yeah, none none of the I think Popular Science reached out to me. Yeah, none of it was like none of it. I spurred. It was all like inbound, which was really cool. That's pretty cool. 
And so the second product that, that I also really liked was Luna, which basically I have no idea why UPS or anyone else hasn't built this thing because they always deliver packages at the wrong time of day. You're never home. Exactly. Um, and I still remember the website with the purple background and everything. And so basically Luna, um, your package would be delivered, you know, in the evenings when you were home. That was that was the whole point. Um, and, and it actually ended up getting acquired by Doorman in May 2014. So how did you build that? Uh, how did you, you know, validate it? And, and how did you end up getting it acquired by Luna? Uh, by doorman, you mean? Oh, sorry, by, um, by doorman, yeah. Yeah, so it, it all kind of came out of like the early part of me moving to San Francisco. Um, so the way Luna would work is you would ship us your packages rather than to your home where, where you would likely not be during the day or if you shipped it to work, you'd have to bring it home in an Uber or in a cab or walk it home and it was a pain in the ass. Um, so you would ship it to us. You would tell us, like, all we asked you was what time are you home for the night? And we had this five-hour delivery window from 7 to midnight. And then we bring it out, and you would be happy. And it was awesome. Uh, so it all kind of came out of me moving to San Francisco, shipping stuff to my apartment, getting a bunch of packages that bounced, and then moving or and then starting work at TaskRabbit, where there was this, like, distributed fleet of, uh, of workers and so I just kind of like narrowed that focus. I was like, all right, what if we had like a task rabbit for just delivering packages late at night? Um, it all kind of started with a kettlebell that I ended up shipping to myself when I worked at Path. Mm-hmm. And I brought the kettlebell home in an Uber. It's like me in the left seat, kettlebell in the right seat. I had a third floor <laughs> apartment. And I lugged it up oh, the stairs. Man. It was awful. Um, I don't know why I didn't take it out of the packaging. It was stupid. Um, <laughs> But like all of that just kind of informed kind of what Luna what Luna was. I didn't really do too much in terms of validation because it was something that was just kind of so obvious that needed to be done. Um, was it built on top of TaskRabbit then? No, it was built okay. <laughs> it was built on top of, of Lyft and Uber drivers. Okay. Because I didn't have any money to uh, do background checks, but I wanted our, our fleet to be background checked. So I would take Lyfts and Ubers in the beginning. And I would pitch them as like as I was doing the deliveries. You know, I'd be running to two or three houses and doing these like twenty, thirty dollar lift rides. And they would go, So what do you do? And I go, This. <laughs> and I would get their email, I'd take them to coffee, I'd make sure they weren't crazy. And then uh, if they weren't crazy, I would, you know, try to try to coerce them into being a, a Luna driver. And uh, it worked pretty well. How many drivers did you get up to? We had three at our max. Uh, at night in San Francisco, you can do 12 deliveries an hour because the streets are not congested and there's no, I mean, there's very few cops around and, you know, there's just nothing to contend with. So you can really fly around the city and go to all different parts. Um, so we didn't really need that many drivers. We could really use one or two um, kind of at capacity and get a lot out of them. And so how did you get it acquired? How did you make the pitch? Did you reach out to them or did they kind of hear about you? Or So we all we knew each other. There were three companies in the space at the time, us and Doorman in San Francisco and then Parcel in New York. There have since been a couple more that, that joined. There's one called Boxify in Boston. There's Bellhop in Chicago. Uh, there might be one more. I don't know. I lost track. I stopped counting. Yeah. Um, but so I... I was talking to, I just, I reached out to Xander at Doorman and I was like, look, um, you know, my co-founder and I, co-founder and I um, are interested in selling the company and we just kind of like compared notes and uh, after a bunch of negotiations and figuring out operational handoffs, we, we got that done. So it was, it was tricky when you've got like two warehouses filled with people's stuff that's valuable and 
you've got two fleets of like independent contractors who are semi-reliable and getting them to move to the other one and do a different system for like a short period of time. At the time I was helping my mom move. So I was running the company remotely for a week as we did like the, ha- the operational handoff, which was super hard. And, uh, and now I no longer have to deliver people's packages. <laughs> I, I like the fact that you were actually, you know, jumping in those Ubers, delivering the first couple yourself just to, just to get a feel for it and, and I, then try to recruit the drivers. <laughs> I mean, I did it. I did it like whenever we had a straggler, like a, a package that would come in late. We had somebody, 48th Ave is, is the farthest west you can go in San Francisco. There's one street past that. We actually had a customer on 48th and a customer on, I think it's called La Playa, the street past that. And our customer on 48th would routinely uh, order deliveries at like 11.45 at night uh, before we set like an earlier cutoff time. Because there were, there were a bunch of parameters that I kind of skipped over because I figured like people wouldn't really take advantage of it. Um, but we created this system that people very kindly said was magical where they would get home, they would literally press a button and we would show up with their package Wait. instead of like pre-scheduling delivery times. We kind of like flipped the design of that on its head. Most people are... They ask you to pick a, a one to two hour delivery window beforehand, mm-hmm. but I don't know what time I'm going to be home tonight, but I know when I am home. Exactly. Like, you know, I took my pants off, bring me my packages. So I'm curious, technically, like what was it built on? Did you use like Twilio or anything like that for, for that kind of stuff? Or Yeah, so the f- very first prototype of the app was a Twilio app. It was literally a big red button that said, I'm home. <laughs> um, and I tested it with about 10 friends. I don't know, I think it was 20 people on a spreadsheet. And they would just start sending me stuff to my apartment building because I could get anything there um, in the new building I moved into. There was just like a common area in the, on the ground floor that everybody's stuff came into. And uh, so it was all shipped like care of me. The first version of the app had my address in it and like two or three people called that out on launch day. And they were like, <laughs> this is sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> so then we got a pivot desk space in a law firm um, and it was always locked and it was secure and everything like that. Um, and so it was, the, it was built on top of Rails, and it was basically just like packages are a state machine, if you guys know what that is. So like, you know, every package has a state, you know, whether it's in route to us or it's, you know, we've received it or it's been requested or it's out for delivery or it's been delivered. And uh, we never missed a package. Uh, our record was 17 packages in one delivery. And since your first delivery is free, the, that one we did was free. We furnished four apartments. Um, what else did we do? Uh, we did a, our biggest things. We did mattresses. We did TVs. We did beds and wow. bed frames. We did carpets. Um, and it was a very interesting business to run. So you're currently working on built in public. Are you able to tell us a bit about what it is and what products are coming from it? Sure. Uh, so this funny thing happened when I learned how to code, which was I started being really cagey about sharing all my ideas. Like in college, before I could code, actually the way I got a job at Next Big Sound was I, I emailed Alex White, the CEO, and I said I have this idea for, you know, what if we could take, what if we could build this music app, uh, just a general we, not them or me specifically, um, and any time that a song was played, we would upload your GPS coordinates, and then theoretically you could track song trends across the world or across the country or whatever, because there's a lot of like, I think dubstep was big at the time and it would start in like DC and then it would move to like Cleveland and then Denver and then LA and then San Francisco. Like there was a very predictable pattern of, of certain genres of music and how it would move. Mm-hmm. And I thought that would be cool. Um, so I shared that with Alex and Alex was like, yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, want an internship? 
and kind of pulled me from my internship at the time. So I was very open about sharing my ideas then. And then as I learned how to code and realized how easy or difficult it was to build something, I kind of stopped sharing my ideas. And that made me uncomfortable. So I wanted to create this kind of system for myself and this like open space where I could make anything. But it was built first and foremost on breaking this fear inside myself of sharing my ideas. And so I was like, you know, what if I, I want to get to this point where I can tell you what I'm going to do months before I do it and then do it without the fear of someone like swooping in and taking that idea, executing it fully and just destroying me in the market. Um, you know, I, I can't think of an idea ever that I saw and I was like, that's a great idea. I'm going to do that instead of what I'm going to stop everything, steal this guy's idea, build a team, raise some money, beat him to market and then get super rich off of stealing his idea. Yeah. Never happened. So I just, I wanted to create this like project space or, or creative studio. I don't really know how to like describe it. Um, just this open-ended thing for myself to, to make ideas big and small and see uh, what's going to come out of that. So I don't really know what, what's going to come out of it. Um, so right now I'm working on uh, an app called StopCoin. And StopCoin is, it's built on top of Coinbase. Uh, so it's a Bitcoin app. And it lets people set prices where they will buy and sell Bitcoin. So if the price is at 300 and you bought it at 300 and you say, sell, my, sell all my Bitcoin when the price drops below 250 because you want to protect your investment. Or you say, you know, if the price goes up to 400, sell it all because you want to, you know, not get greedy. You want to yeah. take advantage of, of a rise in the market. Um, and it, it kind of came out of the, the first couple months of Luna. I was day trading Bitcoin to fund the company. And that's when uh, the price, so Silk Road got seized and shut down, which was the like illicit black market site yeah. Yeah. where you could buy heroin and hookers and guns and stuff. Fun fact about that, if you bought a gun on Silk Road, they would, I didn't do this, I just heard this on NPR, <laughs> um, they, would sh they would source the parts of the gun from all around the world and they would ship it to you. Unassembled. From, unassembled from like, you know, dozens of locations. So you could never trace the gun and you, had, you got this like model gun you had to put together. Um, <laughs> so Stopcoin came out of like me terrified in the middle of the night that, that Reddit was going to do this thing where they tank the price because everybody... Everyone on Reddit wants to know why the price is going up or down. And then when it is going up or down, they're saying buy or sell. And they induce these huge like panic sells, which yeah. is part of the reason the market was so volatile late last year. And so Silk Road got seized. And then the price ran up from it was 110 or 120 up to about 1100 yeah, And I was just buying and selling in steps, but handling way more money than I was comfortable with. And... Uh, I, I didn't even think at the time to build this tool for myself that would just like auto sell if the price dipped. Uh, but that's what, that's what StopCoin is. So it's been in, in a public beta for about a month or so. And then in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to ship that out. And then from there, I have a whole bunch of like small mobile apps that are like quantified self sort of things that I'm going to do. Uh, so there's a the first app is, is this app to write three positive things about today. And there's psychology and studies that show that if you do that each day or on a regular basis, you, you can retrain your brain to scan for positive moments instead of negative moments. Hmm. So, you know, instead of thinking about like, oh, shit, like these, you know, bad things happened, you think about, oh, well, I got this thing done, this thing went well, and, you know, this didn't totally fall apart. So, um, so, so there's a silver lining. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that'll be... 
that'll be nice to have for people. And it's also kind of like just a way for me to get reps doing mobile stuff. Yeah, uh, sure. After that, like a whole bunch of little things like meditation timers, workout trackers, basically just apps I want for myself. Yeah. Um, and I'm not happy with like what's out there, photocracy, et cetera. And what's really cool is you just blog about it all out in the open on Medium and, and on the site and everything. Yeah. And that's like, I want to I want to see if I can build the user base and the audience around this idea before I ship it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if that will work, but we're going to find out. Uh, I did this idea sketch the other day where I wanted to see, like, people have asked me, you know, can you make, like, built in public, like, a platform where I can share my ideas with people? Hmm. And I'm hesitant to do that because there's a lot of like idea journals out there. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the most important thing is accountability. So, you know, not only do I share these ideas, but then I go forward with them or I kill them and I tell you why. Um, so when I launch StopCoin, I'll, I'll share the story behind it. You guys kind of got a sneak preview and, uh, and it'll be cool. I, I think that each product needs like a very important why behind it. And if you don't have a why as to like, while you're actually working on something, then you probably shouldn't be. So, you know, it's hard to let some ideas go, but sometimes you have to if you don't have a good reason to build them. Do you think it is, it's important to build products in a transparent way? And do you think it's a new trend within startups? <sighs> I don't know. Um, I think it, it depends on kind of who the founder is or who the, the person is doing the building. Um, I think it matters on like what the opportunity is and the scale of the opportunity. Uh, like if you're building a biotech company or if you're building something that's hugely, you know, algorithmically based, you probably don't want to be too transparent about that. You probably, you know, want to be kind of cagey and, and, you know, that's, that's your defensibility. Um, I think where transparency gets interesting is, you know, Buffer is kind of the shining example, but like Buffer as a technical product is not that hard to build. Like it's a job that runs every minute that checks if there's, stories that need to go out on Facebook or Twitter or other social media. And, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of supporting features. There's an iPhone app, a Chrome extension. Um, you know, so they're kind of bread and butter is like sharing their kind of lean startup approach and, and things like that. So I think for them where proprietary stuff doesn't really exist, um, although now I'm sure they have some, but, you know, it's kind of a vanilla product, and I mean that in the nicest of ways. You know, it's, it's not that technical to build. Um, you know, it's, it's cool that they're so transparent because it gives people kind of an insight into what's going on there. They share a lot of psychological stuff, a lot of scientific stuff, um, and they've really figured out that content marketing can help drive and transparency can help drive um, people to use Buffer. So... I don't know. I think it's it's cool to do like a creative exploration, um, in, in, you know, via transparency and kind of see what comes of that. See where, you know, you sit in your own head all day and and you're trying to figure out what works and what doesn't and what people are like. And if you just you know put the idea out there, I didn't think that the built-in public as a platform thing would get you know many like much interest, but it's actually been one of the more more popular blog posts that I've done through built-in public. Hmm. Um, so I don't think I'm, I'm not planning on actually building it at the time, uh, but it's interesting to see that there's validation there for, for something like that. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of, of creative transparency, you're actually helping the guys at, at Product Hunt and, and that's a pretty, another pretty kind of open or, or transparent uh, in the sense that, you know, Product Hunt is, is always working with its, auth- uh, with its user base and, and community. Um, so, you know, what is Product Hunt and, and what are the, some, some of the cool things you've done there? Yeah, so Product Hunt is a list of the best new things every day. Um, I don't know why this didn't exist before, uh, but 
uh, you know, there's there's stuff that comes out every day all over the web, and unless you're covered in the tech press, like nobody really knows about it. Mm-hmm. And so it started as like a, I think it was like a linky dink, just like you know, a bunch of people submit stuff, and then you get an email once a day. Uh, and that was late last year when Ryan started that. And as I was wrapping up Luna, I was just kind of bored and I needed something to do. So I reached out to Ryan and I was saying, like, you know, do you need any help? Uh, can I just like hack on this? And this was before, like long before like the audiences and like the influence and all the money that that we have now. Um, so it was really cool to uh, be in there early and, and help build stuff um, that people like Mark Cuban and Snoop Dogg have used yeah. <laughs> in addition to like the great community there. Um, so I've helped build things like we have you know, nested comments, kind of like Reddit, where you can see who replied to what. Um, we built the notification system, sort of like Facebook, where instead of having like 40 things, you just have one item that says like, you know, Tom and 40 other people wrote on your wall mm-hmm. or commented on your story. Um, God, what else did I build there? A whole bunch of like redesign stuff. I implemented that. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a fun product to work on. And it's been wild to watch it grow because it's just gone from you know, basically just a bunch of friends and, you, you know, top spot, you need like 15 votes or 20 votes or something like that. Um, and now Jason Calacanis yesterday said that he heard numbers that we drive more traffic than TechCrunch now. Wow, that's huge. Um, that's amazing. And uh, I don't know if that's true. I don't know. I mean, that's probably for a specific website yeah, or specific exactly. company. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's really cool to see that. Um, so yeah, Product Hunt kind of inspired Built in Public too because there's you know, we share designs early, um, you know, we're free and open to talk about whatever it is we're working on, um, ask people what they want from the community, from the site, uh, what they want feature-wise. Um, and just from the beginning, it's been a really cool place for people to interact and, you know, meet new people, get to know each other, ask, you know, questions of like Mike Krieger, the founder of Instagram, when they put out Hyperlapse, he did a great uh, AMA in the comments. Um, you know, we've had founders big and small, talking to the community and just kind of getting in there uh, and answering questions in, in a really casual way and uh, that really hasn't existed anywhere before. So um, it's been fun to be a part of it. You know, that's great. A product Hunt is a site that I, I visit mostly every morning just to see what the new products that are uh, in store. So are you able to share with us a funny story or something about um, yourself that not a, not a lot of people know? Sure. Um, I guess I, I shared the Luna Bitcoin trading thing. Um, that's in my notes. (laughs) Um, that was why that was terrifying. (laughs) I'm glad it worked out. Um, so the thing that most people don't know about me, uh, I did this in college was I helped turn, I went to the university of Colorado at Boulder. Um, and I helped turn Colorado into a basketball school. So when I got there, there were about 300 kids going to basketball games. Team wasn't very good. And growing up in Maryland, my friends and I would go to university of Maryland soccer games and they have this group there called the crew. So behind each goalie, there's a stand, and the college kids, um, you know, when you're in high school, this is the coolest thing ever, um, college kids, they stand in the stands behind the goalie of the opposing team, and they just heckle each half <laughs> for the whole time. And you, their motto is yell, switch sides, repeat. So you just do this, uh, you know, everybody gets down at halftime, walks around to the other side, and, and does it again. So they just follow the, the, the other team around the whole time. <laughs> yeah. And it's never like it's never mean stuff. It's always really funny, um, like yelling people are ballet majors or yelling, you know, that their parents don't love them or something. It's never <laughs> like directly offensive. It's all very clever. 
And I wanted to bring that to Colorado because we didn't have anything comparable. And so I remember my freshman year reading a story about how uh, there was like no attendance at basketball games. So I wanted to turn that around. So I called the coach up, Coach Jeff Bezdelic. He coached for the Denver Nuggets. He's now at Wake Forest. Um, and I said, you know, I've got a three-page plan I want to pitch you on. Like, let me take you out to lunch or like let's meet up or something. Uh, and that was like May of my freshman year, so May 09. And, uh, and then he, he took me up on it. So, you know, I worked really closely with him for a year or so. And then he moved on. Uh, and then um, Tad Boyle, who's the new coach who's still there, um, has been very supportive of, of our group. Um, it was started before me. It was called C-Unit. Uh, we had a group that I was trying to start called the Buffalo Soldiers, which I learned through trial and error. It was actually a very racist name that was uh, – the soldiers that drove Native Americans off of their land. It was never my intention. It was just like Colorado's a big pot school and Bob Marley's big there and we're also the Buffaloes. So like it made a lot of sense that that, that would work. Um, so after a bunch of people were like, you can't use that name, we combined with C-Unit. I took over C-Unit and then we grew student attendance 700% in two seasons. That's yeah. huge. And, uh, you know, we've been recognized by ESPN and Sports Illustrated for having one of the most hostile groups of kids that you know teams have to deal with. Wow. Um, we just yell hilarious things at other players and other coaches, and we try to get in their heads. Like we we had a fake Facebook account where we would befriend the players of the other team. <laughs> we would make these crib sheets called uh, Buff Chips that we would hand out before the game to all the students, and they would have like players' phone numbers on them, and they would leave hilarious voicemails. And we would find, like, you know, if people were arrested for things and we would chant stuff when they were at the line, like this one guy at Kansas had, he shot a woman out of his dorm room window with a BB gun. What? So when he, he got up to the line, we had the whole gym chanting, don't shoot women. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that was a lot of fun. And then I, I nicknamed um, one of the assistant coaches, I think it was Oklahoma or Oklahoma State. He was like the guy who was in charge of the water, and I was really thirsty from yelling. And uh, I kept I kept calling him Chuck, I think. And I was just yelling, Chuck, Chuck, give me water. And the next year they brought us a sign that said, like, hey, Chuck, because apparently the whole team had started calling him Chuck after this game. No way. <laughs> and, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, so that's one thing that most people don't know about me, but it's one of my, my like, most fun stories to tell. Yeah, fun times for sure. That's hilarious. Uh, I'm glad I'm not uh, an athlete uh, that has to come there for sure. <laughs> oh, God. We were brutal. We would, the best thing we did was like we would take a kid on the bench who was like a freshman or a sophomore who really had no chance of getting in. And the whole game, we would just be chanting for this kid to get in the game. So like this scrub on the opposing team, we just wanted to see him get on the court. And like a couple times it happened. Uh, like the other team was playing really bad. And we would just be yelling for this random kid that nobody knew and nobody had ever heard of. And uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, just give him a chance. Nice. Yeah. Um, so you probably get asked this a lot uh, since since Product Hunt, but uh, are there any tools, apps, books, uh, whatever that you're super obsessed with right now? This is always like a hard question because you figure you figure I would be like on the pulse of things, <laughs> but I'm I'm really not. Like there's not that much I really like. Most of the stuff I use for a day or two and, and don't use very very much. Um, in terms of of apps. I love this app called Digit. I think it's hellodigit.com. So Digit siphons money from your checking account and puts it into a savings account. Um, and every morning around 9 a.m. it texts you how much it saved you that week or, excuse me, that day. 
uh, and what your balance is. So I've like saved, you know, a whole bunch of money without even doing anything. They just take a, a nominal amount of money, you know, two, three times a week. Um, and I think it's great, especially if you have trouble saving or, um, you just like want to put money away, you know, it's, it's a really great thing to use. Um, I use this app called Lyft a lot, which is lyft.do. It's for, um, tracking habits and stuff like that. It's not really new, but it's just really well built. Um, Tony Stubblebine and his team are, are really good at, you know, figuring out, they've done a whole bunch of research into like what makes people tick psychologically and how to build habits and they've incorporated coaching and community. So, you know, the three positive things actually was a habit that I started in Lyft that has, last time I checked, with like 10,500 people doing it. Wow. And every day, like people are writing their things publicly, they're giving each other props, they're sharing comments. Um, and it's a really cool space to try to like achieve your goals and, and you're not alone doing that. Um, I've been into a lot of podcasting recently. So um, I use Overcast for my podcasts. And this is like, I did podcasts in high school, but this is the first one I've actually been a guest on. So this is really exciting for me. We're super so thank you guys. To have you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so some of my favorite podcasts, um, there's one called 99% Invisible, which is like a design-centric podcast. And they just talk about all kinds of interesting things. I listened to one the other day on Wonder Bread and, and like why industrialized bread is what it is. They did one last week on pinball machines and, and the pinball industry. Um, Sounds epic. It's, just, it's a really fascinating podcast. It's really well produced. Um, there's another one called Serial by the people who do This, this American Life. Uh, and it's this fascinating story of this murder in Baltimore that happened in 1999 that was um, not, really, not really sure if it was solved or, or unsolved, um, but they're telling the story of what happened like week by week, and it's fascinating. I think they're on week five now. Um, and then I'm always looking for other podcasts, but there's like the main two. There's another one called Startup, which is this guy, Alex Bloomberg, who yeah. came from Planet Money, uh, and he, he, I think he did This American Life too. Um, they've got a good like alumni network. but uh, So he's kind of documenting the advent of his podcast startup as a podcast which is really fun to listen to and uh the last app i think i have there's an app called called uh manual which is like a manual style camera it gives you access to like aperture and iso and stuff like that um and it's much better than the iphone camera especially on the six and six plus so i like that a lot and then there's a book last thing is there's a book uh called getting more which is all about negotiation and uh, it was recommended me, to me by a friend who works at General Assembly. And it's kind of like the manual, like the new manual in negotiating. So it goes um, and defies a lot of the past uh, advice that's been given around negotiating, kind of like walking out and being a hard ass and stuff like that, and focuses much more on collaboration. And like if I'm negotiating with you guys, helping you guys reach your goals, and then in return, asking you to help me reach mine. Mm-hmm. So it's much more of like a collaborative process. Um, and it, it's a great book. I recommend it to, to everybody. That's really cool. Um, it's actually been popping up on my radar a lot recently. So maybe I should uh, check it out for sure. Interesting. There's, there's very few business books that I actually recommend highly. Um, and I'm, I'm only halfway through it. But I think it's going to be one of those books that I revisit like, once a year and, and give to people a lot. And, you know, it will kind of be like a backbone of my library. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for your time uh, today, Zach. It was really awesome speaking with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. This will, uh, this was fun. Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. 
Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at hack to start and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and more. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.